Good morning, Kensington. What's happening, everybody? My 1115 crowd. Love you guys. So excited you're here with us this morning. I want to welcome you. If you're in the building, I want to welcome you. If you are joining us online, because we have a good crew that joins us online each and every week. Thank you guys for being here. I'm so excited this morning. Today's a little bit different. I'm really excited. I was here for the first service, and it was incredible. So you guys are in for a treat today. Uh, hey, if this is your first week with us, whether you're online or here in the building, we want to connect with you, and we don't hand out connection cards like we used to anymore because we don't want to pass around COVID or anything like that, so we do. We have a digital connection card now, and it's super easy. All you have to do is text the num- uh, text 407-278-7291, and you text the word NEW to that number, and we will get you digitally connected with us. We'll uh, let you know what's happening, what's going on, what we got um, uh, as, as far as a church, what we have happening, and stuff like that, and it's just a great way for you to kind of be start to be part of the community. Here, So if you're new and you want to know more about our church or anything like that, we encourage you to text that number, uh, text new to that number that's on your screen there. Um, and we are a community that loves to do stuff together. We love to hang out. We love to have different kind of events together. And we have some incredible women's and men's ministries that are doing stuff each, what it seems like each and every week is what it feels like. Um, and, and they like we just did axe throwing with the guys. And I know the girls had a game night recently and it was just, there's been a lot of fun. Um, so if you're interested and you want to get connected in that way, you want to figure out what's going on, just go to kensingtonorlando.org slash events, and on that page, it'll have everything that's going on in our church, so you can get registered and connected with the different things that you want to. Speaking of which, um, our family ministry is having a family fall, a fall family day at Southern Hills Farms. It's going to be incredible. I'm so looking forward to it. Um, it, it. This is a great way to just really enjoy the season. There's a lot of things with COVID that we can't do, but this is one that we can. Southern Hill Farms is putting on. There's going to be hay rides and pumpkin carvings and just all kinds of stuff for kids to do. And don't worry, adults, I know what you're thinking. What am I going to do? There are apple cider donuts. So you can pig out on apple cider donuts or blueberry lemonade, all of which sound delicious. I'm all about the food. Um, so it is going to be a lot of fun, five bucks. But we have limited, this is a ticketed event, and we have purchased as a church uh, a certain number of tickets. And so once they're gone, they're gone. And we can't get more because they're limiting our uh, how many people can come in due to the COVID restrictions. So if this is something you want to go to, um, A, you don't have to have a kid. You can just come and have fun with us. Um, but B, make sure you register as soon as possible so you can get your space because we don't want you to get left out. So make sure you go online and register for that as soon as you can. It's going to be a lot of fun. Come hang out with us this Friday from 9 to 11. Oh, by the way, your par- parents, your kids are out of school. I don't know if you knew that or not. You might need that reminder, but your kids are out of school. Um, also, uh, any do we have any married couples, any married people in the room, people that are married? Yeah, we got a few of you guys. Okay. So if you're married, you know that marriage is hard work, right? Marriage, to have a good marriage, it takes hard work. I know they make it seem really easy on the movies and TV show, but I can tell you it's not as easy as it seems. Um, and, and if you want a good marriage, you have to invest in it. You have to put time and effort into making it a good marriage. And we have this amazing class led by Bill Malott, who has led these classes and counseled tons of married people, and he does such a great job. He's helped so many people over the years, and he does this Prepare and Enrich workshop, this class that's four weeks long. Um, they meet on, I believe it's Thursdays, and, uh, and it's just a way for you to invest in your marriage. Whether you're thinking about getting married or you've been married for 20 years, like this is a way to invest in your relationship with your spouse. Um, and this year, it's all digital. We're doing it on Zoom, so there should be no barriers. Uh, you don't have to travel. You don't have to worry about being in a room with other people and getting COVID or anything like that. It's all on Zoom. So if this is something that you want to do, if you want to invest in your marriage, I encourage you to sign up for this. It starts Thursday, um, and there's like a questionnaire that you have to fill out before that day comes. So um, I encourage you to go ahead and sign up today and get in the class and get ready to uh, to just have investment into your relationships. Um, we have so many ways to connect at this church, and we try to streamline that and just put it all to one sort of source, one way to get connected, and that is texting the number 407-278-7291. And we have so many different ways. Uh, words that you can text that, one of which is care. And I just wanted to highlight that one this week because I know that it has been tough, especially in the Orlando area where many people are uh, have been employed by Disney and inter- entertainment businesses and stuff like that. And a lot of that has been shut down because of the things that are going on with COVID. And so I know that there are people that are struggling with joblessness and things like that. So if you 
or somebody you know needs help, please reach out to us. Text that. Text the word care to that number. Um, if you need food on the table, if you need your lights uh, to stay on and you're having trouble with that or you know somebody who is in that situation, we as a church want to be here for our community. And we want to be here for you. We want to make sure you guys are getting taken care of. So you can text that word care to that number, and we will get you started on a process to make sure that you uh, or anybody else gets the help that they need. We want to be there for you guys as a church. And uh, speaking of that, we, we can do that because we're part of such a generous community. We have such a generous community here at Kensington, and it makes me excited to come uh, to work each week and, and come to Sunday mornings because I love being part of a community that is generous and gives generously. And you guys have continued to do that even through the difficult times we've had in the last six months. And I just want to thank you guys for continuing to partner with us because it allows us to help people who really need it and be there for our community. So if you want to give uh, this morning, we have three easy ways for you to do that. Two of them are virtual. One, you can go to our website, kensingtonorlando.org slash giving. You can give that way. We also have an app, super easy, from your phone, the MyWell Giving app. You can give through that avenue. Or if you want to keep it old school and you're more of a cash or check person, um, we have some boxes uh, next to the exit doors and just on your way out, you can drop it in there. No hand-to-hand exchanges for you, um, but you can give those ways. And I just want to, get, again, thank you guys for your continued uh, faithfulness in your giving and the way you've been generous. It's been awesome to be a part of that. So we are in the last week of our political series that we've been doing, and honestly, I'm a little bit sad because I have loved this series. This has been my favorite like series to sit in and enjoy um, ever since I've been in church, and I'm not just saying that because my boss is in the room. It really has been really, really good. I've really enjoyed it. Um, and so this week, you know, we're going to continue that. And we've said over the last couple weeks, there is really nothing that tends to divide us like politics. And so we wanted to start this morning off just poking a little bit of fun at that. So I hope you guys enjoy this next video. All right, I love my country very, very much. And in honor of the freedom I get to enjoy every day, I would like to plant a very small, very subtle American flag in my yard. Oh, wow, really an American flag in 2020 with everything that's going on right now? That is just so incredibly tone deaf. You know what? If you're gonna put an American flag, I got just the thing. I will put this in my front yard. What do you think about that? Oh, okay, Black Lives Matter, really? I mean, sure, we can all agree that we need to end racism, yes, but the organization, absolutely not. I got just the response for that. If he's gonna put out that sign, I'm gonna put out this sign. Oh, wow, blue light, you know what? That is so, so disrespectful. I mean, sure, he may just value the police force that has taken an oath to protect us even to death, but that is just, I mean, what do you want me to do here? Just understand something from someone else's perspective? Absolutely not. And you know what? If he's going to put out that sign, I'm going to put out this sign. Boom. I stand with, you know what? Okay, maybe he's just trying to say that there are a lot of people in this country that are very frustrated with what's going on and they don't feel like their voices are being heard. And I get that, but that is not what this is about. This is yard politics war. All lives matter. Okay. You know what? Uh, that's a very simple phrase, but I have still managed to find a way to be offended about it. If you're going to. Oh, say, can you see? This should end this argument once and for all. Oh, okay. A bigger American flag. Really? Uh, in 2020. Listen, if you want to make a political statement, I will make political statement any functioning adult really into that okay maybe he's just trying to say that he doesn't have particular confidence in either of the candidates but again that is not what's important here okay empathy for others second proving a point first okay trump you know what the insanity of the right that i hear about on cnn has driven me to the radical left all right and if he wants to do that we'll do it should i go rainbow flag or should i go biden 
that's the same thing at this point, really. So let's just do this. Okay, but you know what? The insanity of the left that I hear about on Fox News has driven me to the far right. I bet he's got another sign up. What has he got this morning? Oh, and I angered my neighbor so much that he moved to get away from me. I like that guy. I wish we just would have had a conversation like adults together and we would have realized that we have a lot more in common than we do different. Nah, this is America. Well, how are you guys doing today? You good? Good. Yeah, let's have a little more energy in the room for the people online. How are you guys doing today? You good? That's what I like to hear. Um, my name is Kevin Valentine. I'm the lead pastor here. For those of you joining us online, welcome to Kensington. Thank you for joining us. Um, we're glad that you're here as well. Um, we are in week three of our series, Red, White, and Bruised which is about something that you're not supposed to talk about in church, right? And that is politics. Um, and it, I'm telling you, things have gotten so divisive, it just has been on my heart. Like, we actually need to be talking about this because of how divisive it has become. And while the video we just watched was, like, funny, I thought it was a little funnier than you guys did. Like, literally, I watched it this week. I was rolling on the floor. Um, what has that's kind of given us a window into our politics. We are party people first. We make our stand. We stand our ground. We speak up. Um, sometimes an outrage at those that disagree with us politically, um, making, making our neighbors kind of enemies at times. There's people that we just don't talk to. While at the end of it, if you were to just go and talk and maybe spend a little bit of time with somebody that disagrees with you on politics, you actually will find out you have quite a bit in common with them, and you might could have even built a relationship. And so this series is really, um, while we're talking about politics, it's about making us a little bit uncomfortable. Um, it's about making us a little bit nervous uh, because it's when you do that and you step into difficult conversations like this with scriptural uh, kind of leadership, what you end up finding is that it actually makes us better. It makes us better as followers of Christ. It makes us better as um, neighbors. It makes us better as leaders in our communities. Um, because I'll just say this that I think is true for the church. The church should be the safest place uh, on the planet to talk about anything, even politics. Like the church should be one of the safest places on the planet to talk about anything, especially politics. And that's kind of the tension that Jesus followers need to wrestle with and that we've been wrestling with this series. Are we willing as followers of Christ, are we willing to put our faith filter ahead of our political filter? Are you willing to do that, to put your faith filter in front of your political filter? And I'm not suggesting that you don't have a political party or that you don't have a political opinion. I think that's wonderful to do. But I am suggesting what Jesus commanded. Um, last week, we talked about refusing to be divided, but living in a place where we disagree politically and we love unconditionally. It's that we would live in a place where it is fully okay to disagree politically as long as we are loving unconditionally and praying for unity. That is something we as Christians, we need to be praying for. And what you find when you go back to the first century in Scripture is that people were always trying to get Jesus to take a side. Like that was one, most of the questions they were asking was trying to get him to pick one side over the other. And the same is true today. Like both parties are convinced that Jesus would support their politics. And what happens when you take the words of Jesus and you filter them through your political filter, it's amazing. You kind of look at it and you go, he's so red, he's so blue. It's amazing how often Jesus agrees with you, right? When you look at it that way. But as Tony Evans, he's a very famous pastor in, uh, in Texas, he puts it this way. Um, Jesus didn't show up on planet Earth to pick a side. He actually showed up on planet Earth to take over. Like that's what he came to do. He didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. 
Jesus came to introduce the kingdom of God to earth and the kingdom of God values. It's an upside-down kingdom. It's where those with wealth and power actually leverage their wealth and power for those who don't have wealth and power. That's what they use it for. It's the kingdom of God where the king laid down his life for the sub, his subjects, not demanded that his subjects lay down their lives for him. The kingdom of God was so broad and so inclusive that when Jesus showed up and was describing this, he said everybody is invited and welcome to participate in it. That's why the kingdom of God will always in some detail and at some level have conflict with the kingdom of men. It always will. The kingdom of God will always, at some level, in some detail, conflict with your political party and the platform of your political party and your candidate. There's always going to be tension. And that's why it is foolish for us, for the church, to ever be divided over a candidate over, or a political party. Should never be divided over that stuff. So here's what I want, want to do today. We've been talking about this for two weeks. And as we get to kind of the culmination of this series, um, I want to give us the way forward as a follower of Christ. How do we move forward in the political climate that we are living in, in the socioeconomic climate that, we were living in, that we're living in, in the racial uh, climate that we are living in? How do we move forward as followers of Christ? Um, and I want to start with a passage of Scripture from the Apostle Paul. And I want to just say, if you're not a follower of Christ and you're here checking out the Jesus thing, I'm so glad that you're here um, because it's important to come and be informed and learn. And you're here because you're probably on some sort of spiritual journey um, and you might not have crossed the line of faith yet. So what I'm about to teach on is really Scripture speaking to Christ followers. So if you're not a Christ follower, um, you don't have to do what we're talking about in this. You can kind of go, whew, glad I'm not a Christian because I'm not doing that, right? I'm, I want to stay on my side and throw rocks at the other. And that's totally okay. I will just say this. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, after the election next week, we will all need Jesus. It doesn't matter who wins, okay? We will all need a bit of Jesus. Um, so, so let me jump into two passages of Scripture from the Apostles. Apostle Paul. Um, the Apostle Paul, we talk about him all the time. He wrote most of the New Testament. Um, he steps into the pages of history as someone who hates Christians. Um, he was a Pharisee, a religious leader. He was brilliant. Um, he was super educated. He lived in an ultra-religious political world of, uh, of the, the rulers of his society. Um, he had the distinction of being a Roman citizen. And then he has this um, encounter with Jesus one day, the risen Jesus, after he watched Jesus be crucified and Paul was out um, killing and imprisoning Christians, he has an encounter with Jesus, this risen Jesus Christ that he watched um, put on the cross and die. He met face to face, becomes a follower of Jesus, and he starts teaching about the conflicting values of the kingdom of God. And he says this, he starts describing, he says, in the kingdom of God, in Galatians 3, he's writing a letter to the, to the, the Christians, the church of Galatia. And he's describing to them the kingdom because they had begun to put people in their place, kind of like that's human nature. It's like, well, where are you at? What do you believe? What do you think? How much money do you make? And then we put people in their places. What job do you have? Where do you live? And that way we can put people below us or above us, wherever. Um, and so that was going on inside the church. And so he starts describing um, the kingdom of God. And he says in Galatians 3, 28, he says, in the kingdom of God, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. And what is he saying? In the kingdom of God, there's no racial stratifications where one group is more important, more loved, or more cared for by God than another group. And so to the Gentiles, they're hearing from Paul, and they're thinking, the Gentiles are non-Jews. They're thinking, wait, wait, the Jewish God accepts us? And I can see them thinking, I've never invited a Jew over my house. I've never been invited to a Jewish home. I mean, the Jews are weird religious fanatics. Like, that's what they are. That's what they've always been. To the Jews... Hearing this, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. The Gentiles were hated by the Jews. They were, they were the oppressors. They were the oppression. Like they had it all and the Jews didn't have anything. They were to be defeated and overthrown. In fact, that's what they believed Jesus was going to come do is overthrow the Gentiles. And they were not equal. So that was kind of an affront to both sides right there of just going, hey, there's no, neither Jew nor Gentile. That gets everybody's attention. He goes on. And there's neither slave nor free. And I can see them processing it going, wait, God views slaves as equal to their masters? What kind of kingdom is this? This is so disruptive. I don't know that I like this. How can this be? He goes on, nor is there male and female. 
Now, in the first century, they're going, now, hang on a minute. Like, I get the Jew and Gentile thing. We could maybe work out, out that and the slave master thing. I don't know about that, but there's no distinction in value between men and women. I could just see the men going, what if the women find out about this? And I, could think of, I could see them thinking, well, luckily they can't read because they weren't allowed to read because of the way that society viewed them as less than. And then Paul is coming in and teaching something very different about the kingdom of God. And he says, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. Why? Because you are all one in Christ Jesus. And he's just saying, look, the message of Jesus is for all people. In the kingdom of God, there's no distinction between people and their value. All are of equal value and dignity, meaning this, your Democrat friend, co-worker, or, uh, or, 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 or neighbor, your Republican friend, co-worker, or neighbor that's on the opposite aisle of you um, politically is of equal value to God. 100%. And they must be of value to you. So we can't let politics divide us because the mission that Jesus has given us is to make disciples of all people. The mission of the church is oneness. The most important message on the planet is the message of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for the sins of all people, was raised three days later, um, brought back to life, and anyone who believes in him becomes a part of God's family, a family that is as diverse as the day is long that will last on into eternity. And so it may be impossible for you to understand how a Jesus follower could possibly be for what you are against. Now, I'm just telling you, I've heard Christians say that. How can you be a Christian and be in this party? How can you believe that and be a Christian? Because you, they, they obviously, I've even have heard Christians say, they obviously are not followers of Jesus. Well, let me just say this. Rather than judge, rather than argue, rather show how someone else is wrong, I think we need to focus on living out another passage of Scripture that Paul writes three chapters later where he just says to all of us, he says, you know what? You want to live out the values in the kingdom of God? Carry each other's burdens. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, we will fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Love God, love others. That's the law of Christ summed up in two, two things that Jesus says. He says, love the God, Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love other people like you love yourself. One of the, way we love other, one of the ways we love other people is carrying their burdens it's being concerned about them, not just ourselves, our stance, our political party, our line in the sand. And with the divide that we're experiencing politically right now, what's happening is we don't care about the other side. In fact, we're growing to hate them, look down on them, put them in the other category, and walk away from them. And I'm just telling you, as the church, we need to turn around and become bridge builders and stop putting barriers in the way. We need to build bridges, not barriers. And so if you're a follower of Christ, you are called to reach all people, not some, not those that agree with you, all people. And so Paul says, you know how you fulfill the law of Christ? You carry each other's burdens. Well, let me ask you a question. The only way to do that is through relationships. So how can you help me carry my burden if you don't know me? You can't help me carry my burden. You can't carry it with me if you don't know me. How can you help me carry my burdens if all you're doing is telling me that I'm wrong all the time and you're not getting to know who I am and why I sit where I sit and why I believe what I believe? So how do we change the way things are as the church? That's kind of what I want to do for the rest of this, this service is how as followers of Christ do you and I bring light into the darkness in politics? Because it is dark right now. It is divisive. And all people want to do is pick their side and throw rocks at the other side. Well, you build bridges not barriers, by doing three things. It's three words that I want you to walk out of here with in your mind, kind of locked in, and that is this. You listen, you learn, and you love. You listen, you learn, and you love. If you're ever going to get to loving all people, if we're ever going to be um, able to carry other people's burdens, if we're going to be able to reach all people for Christ, it starts with the way forward. The way forward is, first of all, listening to other people, building relationships, and then just listening. Listen to people who don't experience the world the way you do. Listen to their stories. Build relationships and just listen to not just the haves and the have-nots. Listen to Christians and non-Christians and young and old and black and white, straight and gay and single and married, Republican and Democrat. Listen to people who don't agree with you and who are different than you as a way forward. Is building a relationship through listening to them and hearing their story. Now, how do you listen and listen well? With an open mind. The goal is to understand, not be understood, realizing that you might not know everything. 
Drop all preconceived notions and, and judgments. Listen without jumping in with your opinions, even if you disagree with what you heard. I'm telling you, I've heard conversations go south because someone just can't let another opinion go by without addressing it every single time. But when you enter into a relationship just to listen to somebody, you're not going in to prove a point or to do anything other than to listen. And then step two is learn. It's listen first and then learn. Learn about who they are, where they're from, why they believe what they believe. If you want to really reach all people and build relationship, it's going in to be a student, not just a critic of people that disagree with you. It's being curious, not afraid. It's paying attention. I love this quote. It's, where the, it's actually an atheist that said this. Pay attention to the frontiers of your ignorance. Otherwise, you'll discount everything that somebody that says that doesn't perfectly fit into your flawed worldview, which all of us have. We see the world from a certain perspective, which makes having a full worldview, it means that your view is flawed because all you can see is your perspective and maybe one or two others when there's a 360-degree view of certain issues in our culture. It's rather than being suspicious of the other side, people not like us, it's becoming fascinated with them. It's being fascinated with people that don't agree with you. It's going to be a learner. I remember um, early in my career as a pastor, um, we were starting to do mission trips um, all over the place, and, uh, and we did some uh, training on how to do mission trips and go into third world countries, and it was very interesting. I'll never forget this. This must have been 20 years ago. They said, they said basically what happens in America is because we have so much figured out, we're world leaders, we have a certain amount of arrogance that we all just carry with us in being in that position that some of us don't even know we have. So we go to third world countries, and we go into the third world countries to fix them and tell them how to do it right. And it is like, of course we do, right? Because we want to help them. Well, one of the things that they taught in that training, which was so valuable to me, is like, no, when you enter into another culture, if you want to reach it, you enter in as a learner first. You enter in to learn who they are, how they got where they're at, what they think, how they believe. And then you can earn the right through learning about them to actually speak into their life if they let you. And it was really mind-blowing to me because I'm like, wow. Because all I could think of is, man, when we get over there, we're going to really help those people. We're going to teach them all the cool American stuff, how we figured it all out. And they're like, back off there, Hancho. You know, like, just go and learn first. And it was really made the trip completely different. Well, a lot of times we need to do that with people that we disagree with because we've alienated them so much. It's going as a learner. Don't go in to teach them what you believe or turn the tide and make them believe. Like, just go in to learn. Ask really smart questions. Hey, have you always been a Democrat? And then just listen. Hey, have you always been a Republican? How did you get to believing what you believe? Was it, what was it like for you growing up as a black man in our country or a black woman? What was it like growing up as a white man or a white woman in, in our, our country? What's it like living in our country as a Hispanic? What's it like growing up without a mom or a dad? I'm just curious. I want to learn because once you approach somebody to listen to their story and hear who they are, and you're there to learn about them and to learn why they believe what they believe, it actually leads to the third thing, which really is how we bring light into the darkness, especially of politics, is it allows you to love. It allows you to love them. It's a great quote from Andy Stanley, one of my favorite teachers. He just says, never burn a relational bridge over a political view. Never do it. Don't do it. You are not being Christ if you're willing to burn a relational bridge over a political view because the you beside you is more precious to God than your potentially flawed view. They're more precious to him. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for all of us. So how dare you and I burn a relational bridge with anyone for whom Christ died and paid the price for? So we need to listen, learn, and love if we're going to build bridges. And when you do that with someone that you disagree with that's different than you politically, racially, socioeconomically, and in the name of Jesus, you listen, you learn, and you love. You know what you can actually do? You can actually carry their burdens with them. You can actually love them right where they're at with no agenda other than to just help, to be a friend. Now, is this dangerous to do? Yes, because you might find out that you are wrong on some things. You might find out that you don't have the full story. You might find out that 
the way you think needs to change. In fact, the way you believe might even change if you actually approach people that are very different from you and their views and their lifestyle and stuff, and you just go to listen and to learn, you might find out that God can actually move you to actually love them right where they're at without the need to tell them whether they're right or wrong. Just love them. And I'll tell you, as we were working on this political series, became very apparent to me that one of the areas we need to talk about because of how political um, it has become is the race relations in our country. Racial injustice, the divide between whites and blacks in particular. Because it is just over the last three to five months, it has gotten just crazy. It's out of control. The divide seems like it's bigger than ever. And in my life, there are two men that have spoken into this in my life that have made a difference in how I view it. They've changed the way I view racial injustice. They've changed what I believe about the difference between whites and blacks in our country and around the world. And the two men are, are uh, Larry Thompson. He's the head of security for the Orlando Magic and um, Eddie Cole. He's the, he's the co-chaplain with me for the Orlando Magic. Both of them are strong Christian men. They see the world very different from me, but they love Jesus just like I do. And as I've gotten to know them, I have changed because of these two guys. So a couple months ago when the riots were kind of at their peak going on all over the country, Black Lives Matter was front and center, protests were going on at sporting events, everyone was up in arms about it. I was talking to Larry, um, who, you know, is, 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 was in the NBA bubble at the time, um, you know, at, the, at, at Disney. And I said, Larry, I said, what is your take on all this black-white protesting? going on in our country. Because I wanted to understand the situation. I wanted to see it through his eyes because I don't feel like I understand all the unrest and all the anger and all the angst and all the rioting and all the, the stuff that's going on. I don't feel like I actually understand that. And I wanted to because it's real. It's happening. And as he shared with me his thoughts, shared with me his perspective over the course of about an hour, I just remember sitting there going, the church needs to hear this. The church needs to hear this. And if I may be so bold, and this might offend you, I feel like white people need to hear this. Need to hear from my friend Larry. And I don't know where you stand on the whole racial injustice thing, but I will just tell you, speaking for myself, I have been ignorant for many years of my life at what is actually going on and what is actually happening because I don't have a perfect worldview. I need to grow and learn. And I can sit back and I can make my decisions based on what's ha- you know, looking at what's happening in the country from my narrow point of view, or I can build bridges to people different from me, and I can listen, love, and learn, and love. And so what I did is I asked Larry to come in and do an interview this last week on video with me for what I thought was going to be 10 to 12 minutes. I'm like, yeah, we'll talk for 10, 12 minutes about racial injustice and kind of get his take on it um, and, and what the church can do about it. And it became very apparent to me as we sat there talking for 45 minutes um, that this wasn't a 10-minute video, but more rather the message for the day. And so I'm going to show you all 45 minutes. I'm just kidding. I'm not. Um, we actually edited it down to about half of that. Because I believe we as a church need to put into practice this idea of listening and learning and loving people from all walks of life. And I think God has a lot to say to followers of him and a lot to say to the church through my time with Larry. And so I want to ask you, would you join me over the next 23 minutes and open your heart and open your mind and just listen with the intent to learn with the hope that love follows. As Larry and I sit down for an edited version, we're going to play, the full version will be online later on Monday. But I want you to listen to Larry and I talk for a little while, and let's grow together. So I'm excited to have you. Uh, And so kind of as a way to introduce yourself to us, um, I would love to just kind of hear, you know, a little bit about where you grew up and kind of what you've done in your career up to this point. So I grew up in a a small town in in, uh, central Missouri, Um, about uh, about 10,000 people, uh, and it was a great place to grow up in, um, but uh, grew up uh, the uh, only child of a a single parent. My mom uh, never married. Uh, so we grew up in a house that my grandfather and his father actually built. Just a kind of a small town environment, you know. Um, uh, from there, went to college, uh, met my, uh, my now wife, uh, Lori, um, at Central Missouri State University. 
And uh, all the summers that I was in college, I, I had an opportunity to travel to Washington, D.C. I was an intern for my congressman there. I had another uh, job in uh, uh, something they called the folding room, which was, I, I call it a sweatshop. It yeah. was the kind of job that you had that um, at some point you say, you know, I think I'm going to stay in college so I won't have to work like this <laughs> uh, when, I, when I get out. When I graduated from college, I went to, uh, went to the Capitol Police. There was an opportunity mm -hmm. to work there, and I thought I'd be with the Capitol Police about five years. And I retired from there 28 years later. No way. So, uh, yeah, it's funny how life, uh, life happens. Uh, my wife and I married. We had three children. Um, I ended up getting promoted uh, several times on the Capitol Police and, uh, and ended up retiring as a, as a deputy chief with the Capitol Police, um, which was just, just an amazing experience. I really would love for you to speak into what it was like for you growing up in our country as a black man. Yeah, um, I, one, of the, one of the stories that, uh, that just kind of forms a foundation for me is, uh, you know, growing up in that small town. Um, the town was, was segregated, um, but as a young kid, I really didn't know that. The street I lived on had about four black families that lived on it, and it was in the middle of a white area. Hmm. Predominantly, you know, the town's predominantly white. Hmm. But there was a black part of town. There, there was a part of town where most of the black people live. And I really don't know. I'm going to have to find out now if I can. How is it that we ended up in this little, yeah. small area of the town? So um, I go to school. I go to kindergarten. And uh, I remember you know, very clearly one day we're out. You know, I guess it was early in the school year. We're out playing. And I'm, I'm trying to play with this group of kids, this group of boys. And... Um, one young fellow named Junior Gilpin, if you, <laughs> you still remember the name. happened to run into him, uh, he looked at me and he yells out, you know, uh, and I, I can just visualize it, I, I can see him yelling this to me, colored kids can't play. Hmm. And so I'm looking around, I'm going, okay, that sounds good to me. What, what are, who are these colored kids? Hmm. And he says it again, and he's looking at me, and uh, he's, he's telling me colored kids can't play. I have no idea what he's talking about. I don't know what it means. I go home. I go, I go to my neighbor's house, and I tell my little friend over there, we're getting ready to play something. I say, colored kids can't play. And her mother just gets so angry at me. Hmm. And I'm just ignorant. I yeah. still don't know wow. what this means. The, um, the interesting thing about that to me is that, you know, as we've had the racial situation kind of brought to the fore over the past few months. Yeah. I've talked with some of my, my black friends, and you know we all can remember mm. that day. Mm. We can all remember the first time somebody called us the N-word mm. or said colored kids can't play. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. Everyone that I've talked to, it's like, oh yeah, I remember exactly when that happened, the yeah. first time that I was made to feel different. Um, you know, I had a lot of white friends growing up because of where I lived. Yeah. Uh, and um, I think everybody can probably relate to the separation that occurs in school, you know, in the lunchroom. Yeah. The black kids go to their tables and the white kids go to theirs, you know, and why does that happen? It happened in college. Um, I can recall, you know, walking into stores and, and even now kind of getting that feeling that, you know, am I getting special attention because of something other than somebody really wants to help me? Are they looking at me and thinking that I shouldn't be there? Yeah. Uh, I was uh, in so many meetings on Capitol Hill where, you know, you walk in and you look around the, the room and you're the only black face there. Hmm. Well, you even said you had a talk with your yeah. children. Oh, yeah, that. yeah, I, and, and that's, like, you know, a common thing to talk, you know, yeah. about what to do when the police stop you, you know. Mm -hmm. Be courteous, right. hands at 10 and 2, turn the lights on in the car, turn the radio down, roll the windows down, don't make a move until they tell you to do really? something. Oh, absolutely. Ugh. Yeah. I'm going to, where's your license and registration? My registration's in my glove box. Is it okay if I get it out? Wow. And wait until you're told it's okay. Wow. You know, and that's what, what's fascinating about that is I never had a talk like that. Never sure. got, of course I didn't, right? Yeah, and yeah. That's just, you, think, you think the police are good. 
yes. because you're taught that they're there to help you. Yes. And in some black communities, what they see the police doing are making their life harder. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I felt that, you know, even there have been situations that occurred where, I, you know, because I could maybe speak well or write well, I felt that on the police department, that people were surprised, I felt like, that, mm. oh, Larry can string together a couple of sentences. Wow. Um, and I felt like that might have helped me in some ways, mm -hmm. that people looked at me and they were thinking, well, you know, Larry's a good guy, you know, and he can, he can do this uh, surprisingly. Surprised. Yeah, surprise. Yeah, so it's, it's, very, uh, it's very odd. I guess you, you, the one thing that, uh, that is true is that you can't escape being black in, in the United States. You know, yeah. you can't escape that feeling that uh, someone's looking at you and looking at you differently and uh, yeah. making some judgment about you. Uh, we just moved into uh, a neighborhood uh, in, uh, it's, it's in Orlando, um, and I remember thinking as we moved into the neighborhood, how are we gonna be received? How are we mm -hmm. gonna be, how are our neighbors gonna look at us when we move in? Wow. Are they gonna think, hmm. uh-oh, you know, there goes the neighborhood, or you know, yeah. you know. <laughs> Um, so so that, that, that's kind of that's kind of there. That's kind of an undercurrent. Like it's kind through, of always through, with you through your life. Yeah. Like it's just that undercurrent is always there. I had a uh, I had a guy got promoted to uh, lieutenant on the police department. You know, studied every every test I took, studied hard for it, competed with other people. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just blessed by God to to succeed in, in doing that. And I get to my first assignment as a lieutenant, and as a lieutenant, you're in command of a section, which is about. That's, for me, it was about 70 or 80 people. Yeah. You know, pretty big deal. Uh, and a uh, African-American sergeant that people looked up to. He, yeah. was, he was kind of a, uh, um, um, a force on that, on that section. He was a, a guy that people knew and respected. Um, I interact with him, and he looks at me and he goes, he, at one point he says, well, you know, the only reason they, pr they promoted you was because you were black. He says that to me. Really? And I start thinking about that and going, wow, I wonder... Hmm. I wonder if that is true. Yeah, it's not, almost, yeah. Not thinking about, I studied hard for this. My family, yeah. you know, they made sure I had space to do this. It yeah. was like a family thing. We did it together. Uh, but even an African-American friend of mine looked at the situation and thought, well, that, that's the only reason you it's, got promoted. It's just, it just feels like devaluing. Like it's yeah. just, it's just, you're devalued yeah. in some ways. Just, yeah. you know, it doesn't matter that you worked hard. It's right. black, so we're going to help you. Yeah. Rather than just allowing you to earn it on your own, or make you feel like you earned it on your own. Absolutely, oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's yeah, that's it. Well, that gets kind of into my my next question. Um, when I say racial injustice, um, I would love for you to help me and help us um, understand your perspective on, uh, from your perspective, what's the unrest and all the anger. Um, about that we're experiencing right now in our country because it is just like everything is just blown up in the last few months. Right. Um, so help us understand where's that coming from? What is that? Like that racial injustice? Because yeah. there's an argument. Like some people say, ah, there's no racial injustice in our mm. country. And I'm wow. kind of like, yeah. I don't know, there's something there. And I'd love to hear just from your perspective. I have a perspective yep. that, that is my perspective. And um, we talked a little bit beforehand. And, you know, I don't represent everybody that's of a certain race or yeah. everybody that's from Missouri, which is where I'm from. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, I do have uh, a perspective as a black man. So I know that's what we're going to talk about. Yep. And, uh, and I, I just preface it by saying I don't represent everybody. And maybe that's a, um, maybe that's a thing to talk about. Even just, I'll just say it right now, you know, that, that maybe one of the issues that we face as a society is that, you know, I, I think that people tend to think that, um, we know one person of a certain race, and everybody is like that. Yeah, you know what I mean. Everybody, yeah. everybody. I know uh, an Asian person, so all Asians must be this right. way. I know uh, a white guy, and all white people must be this way. This yeah, exists. you kind of get tunnel vision. Yeah, and you think that, that you think that that's you know uh, it, it applies to everybody within that group, and I think that that's one of the things that uh, divides us is that there is as much diversity within the black community 
hmm. as there is within any racial right. group. Right, as much as in the white community, the Asian community. Absolutely, but, but, community. but it's having someone say to me, um, you know, you're different, Larry, yeah. than other black people or than, than what I thought a black person hmm. was. Yep. You're different than them. Yep. Uh, and what that says to me sometimes is that you put me in a different category, but you still have the same feelings about right. African-Americans that may not be true. There are other people that are really struggling. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're struggling because uh, the, the playing field's not level. Yeah, explain to me the, like, when you say the playing field is not level. Mm -hmm. like what is, when you say that, what does that mean to you? It means to me that there are things going on in our society, and they have been for forever yeah. since the, our society was founded. Yeah. Um, uh, you know that that there's inequalities. Like statistically, you can look at things that say, "Why is it that blacks are paid less than mm. their white counterparts? Yeah. Why are African Americans uh, disproportionately represented in our penal system? Yeah. Why is that happening?" And you can, the, the answer is it's a, it could be a couple of things. One is that blacks are just bad, you know, mm -hmm. and we deserve to be there. Mm. Um, or it could be that our system has targeted people that are poor, that mm -hmm. are different. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that makes, that makes people that are not poor and people that are in the majority, maybe it makes them feel safer. So there's no, there's no, um, you know, it's easy to just say, well, you belong there. Why, why do people turn to selling drugs when they know it's wrong? Why do people mm -hmm. do things that are going to land them in jail? Well, I think part of it's hopelessness. Part of it yeah. is that there's, there's no, you don't see any opportunity. You don't see any way out. Mm -hmm. uh, we, know about, we know about redlining. We know about, and, and if redlining is just a practice that our yeah, government that? imposed that uh, would not give the same loans to African-Americans as they would to whites. And that's still happening? It's not supposed to be happening now. But it probably it's, is. It's, it was made illegal years ago. Mm -hmm. But uh, one of the interesting things about that, um, to me, is just, just how this injustice works itself out. So one of the ways that people were able to pay for college, maybe your parents had to make this choice uh, I know a lot of people my age, I'm not 100, I'm, I'm a little less old than that, but, um, but you know, people my age, you know, the, the way that, that a lot of kids went to college was that their parents had a mortgage on their house, right? Mm, they have yeah. a house, they got a mortgage, they can borrow against the mortgage, right. they can pay for school, um, and you find out that if you don't have a home where you have a mortgage, mm. I want to move out of the inner city and move to the suburbs, but I can't get a mortgage because the government won't loan me money, hmm. or they will loan me money at an interest rate that is so high right. I really can't afford it. So I don't have a mortgage now to send my kids to school. Yeah, the, the down, downstream, it's like Absolutely. now my kids can't go to college because I can't borrow against and get the funds necessary. And that's something that I think a lot of the country just doesn't know, that that's, don't know. that's adding to the generational poverty yeah. That's in our country. So, and what we do, I think, is we tend to look, then we don't, we don't look at that part, but we look at this guy, this black guy, who mm. doesn't go to college, and we say, oh, he, he has no motivation. You know what yeah, I mean? Yes, He's I lazy. Do he doesn't want to make anything of himself. He doesn't mm. want to do anything. Well, maybe he does, but what, what if there's no opportunity? Yeah. What, if there's no, what if there's nobody saying to him, hey, you can do this. Right. And we can help you do it if you need help. Mm. We can make... I don't think, you know, no one wants to be handed something. Right. You know, there are people right. out there, I don't know, we can have that argument, there are people out there that kind of say maybe that's the way to do it. Maybe it is. But I think what, what everybody wants is just to be treated fairly. Right. Let's have a level playing field, as, as we and said And so there's, earlier. what's interesting just listening to you is there's so many ways that the injustice of our systems and our society play into, like when you say racial injustice right now, it's all of those things. Absolutely. It's not just like one thing yeah. and this is why everyone's upset. No, no. It's, it's, it's this area and this area right. and this area and this right. area going all the way back to when you were in kindergarten being singled out as different. Yep. Like that just weighs on you your whole life. You know? The bias that exists in our country, really it exists in so many 
forms. Right. Uh, think about this, uh, Pastor Kevin, when you were growing up, you know, all the, all the people that we were taught to uh, idolize were white, right? Hmm. John Wayne, Oh yeah, Tarzan. You know what I mean? They yeah. were they were not the, the the icons of beauty were white people. Hmm. They weren't black people. Right. So implicitly, you began to look at that. This isn't just white people doing this. This is black people. Right. We began to look and we think, well, I must not be good enough. Yeah. There are no black people. They're not showing the beauty of black people. Wow. They're showing what I'm supposed to look like, and I don't look like that. Yeah. Uh, I go into a boardroom for a meeting, and I don't look like these people. Yeah. Am I supposed to be here? Yeah. It, it's, it's, uh, it's a little insidious. How do politics play into this struggle of racial injustice? Yeah. Um, it, it seems to me that politics really have divided us, and in particular as a church. I mean, I know they've divided us. I mean, that's right. they're supposed to. You know, yeah. that's that's what what politics are. You, you pick a side, uh, and you know, one of the struggles that I've had uh, as a as a Christian, um, it, it kind of goes back to a sermon that a pastor that uh, that that I used to used to go to the church that he pastored at preached, and it was about our identification as Christians and how difficult that is because the issues don't fit neatly into one political party. Mm. Uh, if you're, if you're pro-life, can you be a Democrat? Mm. Yeah, some people if, would say if, no. Yeah, you'd say no. I mean, uh, uh, if you're uh, for social, uh, you know, if for helping people through social programs, can you be a Republican? Some people would say, well, that's not our thing. Uh, so it's really difficult for, I think, Christians to land, you know, it's difficult for us to, to know where we are politically. And I think part of the problem, and again, this is, this is coming from me, uh, I think that part of the problem is that we've, as a church, as Christians, we've become far too political and far less Christian. Hmm. We have, we have, adopted some idea that, you know, we, we should be good citizens and we should vote and we should, uh, you know, support uh, candidates and, and um, policies and laws that are, you know, the right ones. But what's happened is that uh, we have, you know, we've looked at other Christians, we've looked at people that have different opinions than we do about these political issues, and they've become our enemies. Right. They've become people that we don't, you know, I, I didn't know that about you. I didn't know that you thought that way. It's almost like you and I, you know, we can have, we can have discussions that are, that are deep and that get into areas that are, that are challenging, but we're going to walk out of those discussions loving one another. Yeah. And what, what is happening now is that there's no discussion. You're just wrong, and, uh, you know, if you're thinking this way, how can you be a Christian? Yeah, it's 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 like our, it's like we're Republican, Democrat first, follower of Christ second. Wow. And yeah. it's like, man, we've got to get back to no, we're follower of Christ first. Yeah. And then we uh, use that to inform our politics. Thank and that's kind of what we've been talking about in this series is getting back to that, um, because then you can have conversations like this. Absolutely. You know, which to me are so important. And, and so kind of getting into the last question that I have for you, um, uh, as a follower of Christ, I want to ask you to speak to the church, you know, which is, which is our church, but also the church. Right. Um, and just, just ask you this, what has God put on your heart to share with us today? When you pose that question to me, the, the first thing that I think about, and, and it's come because of the situation that we're in right now also, um, is educate yourself. The, the situations that we have briefly touched upon about racial inequality, about bias, about racial injustice, those, those things come because, those, the, the understanding of those things come because we find out what the truth is. Hmm. So maybe that's up to us as a church to find out what, is, what has really happened here. Hmm. Why do... Uh, people feel the way they do. It's having conversations like this. Yeah. If the New Testament church, the first century, first century church, 
was diverse, no Jew, no Gentile, no free or slave, then why is it that we are so segregated uh, now? How is it that we have not taken this to heart and have made the church as diverse as heaven is going to be one day? Um, the challenges I heard about that were, look, you work with a diverse group of people, right? You, work, you don't work in a, in a workplace that has all one race of people. How come you're not inviting them to church? Do you live in a neighborhood that's all one race of people? Maybe you do. But if you don't, then why aren't they in your church? Why aren't they populating? Why doesn't your church look the way that the community looks? And part of that requires intentionality. This, this is another issue that's really come to me over the course of several weeks in a lot of different ways. And it's this idea that I've, I've forgotten that being a Christian requires work. You know, yes. it requires effort. And I think that our society, you know, it, it puts us in this situation where we're looking for comfort, right? We're looking for an easy life. All I want to do is be comfortable. How many times have you heard that? People mm -hmm. say that that's what they want to do in their retirement years. I just want to be comfortable. I just want to, I don't want much. Yep. But what we really want is we don't want to have to work. We don't want to have to, this is work. This is work that the church has to do to get out of our comfort zone and to um, seek out relationships, I think, yeah. that, are, that are different, that we're not, maybe that we're not comfortable with. You've got a bias. You might have a bias about a certain group of people. Well, maybe those are the people that you need to reach out to first. Uh, invite someone to your home. Invite them for a cup of coffee. Be honest with them. Yeah. I, I would say, look, you know what? I realize that uh, my group of friends is all one race. And I'd like to know you. Well, I, and I would say that's one of the joys of, uh, you know, meeting you and meeting Eddie. You know, as, I, as he's kind of part of the three of us hang out quite a bit at, at the Magic Games. Um, is just being able to say to you, hey, talk to me about this white-black thing. Like, I think that's, I think that I, we were on a phone conversation, and I just said, talk to me about this. Like, what's your take? Yeah. And that kind of started us on a discussion that, you know, was very informative to me and really just opened my heart, opened my mind to going, man, this is a deal, and we've got to step into it as the church. And so, Larry, um, thank you. Thanks for your time. That's a very socially distant way to That's shake right. hands. That's good. Um, but just thanks for your friendship. Thanks for speaking into our church. Um, thanks for, you know, just living out your faith the way that you do. And um, I think there's a lot of people that are going to be blessed by our time together. Thank you, man. Appreciate you it. You got it. Appreciate it. Hmm. You can give Larry a hand. I don't know if he's watching right now. Um, but I just want to say this. Um, when you approach someone that's very different from you with the intent to listen and to learn. You know what most often happens? Love. I love it. I love Larry. I love Eddie. They're amazing men. They have challenged me. They have changed me. They have given me different perspectives. That only comes through being in relationship with people and following Jesus into that. You know, one of the things that Larry said that I thought was just so um, spot on is he just said he has forgotten that sometimes Christianity requires him to do hard work. And I'll tell you, crossing the divide, whatever divide it is, takes hard work. It takes you setting down your preconceived notions and the things that you believe and the things that you just know are right and the, the lines that you want to stand behind and throw stones. You've got to set those down and walk across the aisle and listen and learn not to teach but just to understand in the hope that love prevails and you might even reach some people for Christ. And that is my hope for us as a church, that we would be a church that knocks down the walls that are put up racially, socioeconomically, politically, and that we might be able to experience the oneness and the unity that God calls the church to. So let me pray for us. Um, Father, thank you so much for Larry and for his willingness to, to open his heart and to sit down with me on tape and talk. 
God, I pray that you would open our hearts and open our lives and help us to step into this um, new reality that we have through COVID, through the craziness that's going on in our world politically and with racial injustice and whatnot. God, I just pray that you would open our hearts to the reality of the truth that is out there. God, help us to be listeners of other people's stories in their hearts. Help us to learn things that we don't know right now, Lord, things that we might not even uh, understand because we've never experienced. And God, through that, soften our hearts so that we can just love all people like you did. And we might give up our lives for those who might even be our enemies following in your footsteps. And God, if there's anyone right now, Lord, that just today is their day, they might be listening to you for the first time on a soul level. Lord, I pray that as they invite you into their life to be their Lord and Savior, if they're ready to do that, God, would you just enter in and begin to make the changes on, on, in their heart that you promised to make when we become your children and we experience your community and your kingdom. In your holy name, amen. I'd love to ask you to stand up and worship with our team as we worship this God that loves us. The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Cause the God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail. Oh, my God will never fail. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to the Lord. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to the Lord. Oh, Take what the enemy meant for evil 